John chapter 12. When a seed dies, when a seed dies, Brother Jim read our text this morning for us, and we will be there eventually in a few other spots. But the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're all going to die. I don't know if you've come to that stage in life. I think I was about 40 when all of a sudden I thought, oh, I'm not going to be on the planet much forever, am I? <laughs> it just kind of dawns at you. You start seeing the end. And you think, and I know people in here that are farther along thinking, oh, you don't have, you got a long ways to go, boy, <laughs> right? But no, it's, it's still, it comes to you. We're not going to be here forever. And I wish I could take you to the scene that the word has spread that Jesus was coming to this one town. And he was headed for the graveyard. Just four days earlier, Lazarus had died. And as Jesus approached the tomb, many of the Jews had followed him there just to see what he was going to do. And as Jesus commanded the the stone to be rolled away from that grave, and with a single command, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible says that he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. I wish I had time, maybe maybe next week, would, maybe another time we could deal with that napkin there. But he did. Lazarus came forth. And Jesus did it. He raised a man that was dead. Pulled him out of the tomb. No, he was dead four days. Martha said, he stinks by now. What are you doing? He said, roll the stone back. And he called him out. Now, Jesus had already caused the blind to see. He had already made the deaf to hear. He had already rebuked fevers. He had already fed the 5,000. He fed 4,000. He rebuked a storm out at the sea. He healed 10 lepers. And we can't forget the turning of the water into the wine. That's caused about 2,000 years of debate. But he did it, right? But this one, he actually called somebody out of the grave? Some of you struggle with that this morning. And you don't even believe it. And that's fine. But Lazarus had died. But the command of Jesus, by the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, life returned into Lazarus. And when we meet him again in chapter 12, he's home again. He's with Mary. He's with Martha. Jesus is there. Another Martha's running about preparing once again. And he's alive. He's alive. If you look at verse 1 in chapter 12 of your Bible, notice what it says here. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he praised from the dead. Now notice this, six days before the Passover. This is one of the last miracles that Jesus is going to do besides His own resurrection before He heads to be executed. This time with Lazarus was not many days prior to this meeting here, obviously. And Jesus is only six days from the crucifixion. Here He is in the house with Bethany, at Bethany with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And now look at verse 9. 
Chapter 12 and verse 1, he's at Bethany. In verse 9, look what Jesus is doing. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there at that house. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So people were coming all over the place. They had heard what Jesus had done. They had heard of the miracle. But not only that, they wanted to see the evidence of the miracle. Remember when Jesus healed the blind man? And the priest came and the only thing they could say was, uh, you did this on the Sabbath? (laughs) And the guy says, he goes, well, I don't know. I don't know if it was wrong or not. I don't know what happened. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And here's Lazarus. People are coming to look at the evidence. All the, you know what all they know? He was dead and he's alive. He's eating. He's among them all. And they came and they wanted to see this. Listen, who wouldn't want to see a dead guy alive again? I think that'd be pretty cool. I think I'd have some questions for him, wouldn't you? Do you think there would be books written? There are supposedly those that have died and go, gone on. And uh, most every one of those stories that they have do not line up with the Word of God. One lady, I, I, love, I, I love how the... Uh, see, we're not going to get to your, your roast today. Uh, I love the, uh, the irony of people's names at times. And a little boy wrote a book about going to heaven and dying. Dying, go to heaven and coming back. And he wrote this book. And, uh, and, and my first thought is, okay, so you got to see all of this and John and Paul didn't? You got to write about all this and John and Paul didn't get to write about it? Come on. So he wrote this book and, and uh, his mother uh, finally confessed uh, fessed up that it was a lie, went to the publisher of the book and said, no, it's a lie. And they, and they wrote it anyway. Go look it up. You can see this. The last name, Malarkey. <laughs> it may not be pronounced that way, but M-A-L-A-R-K-Y, Malarkey. Bunch of Malarkey. Yeah. They had some questions for him, I'm sure. What was it like? What happened? What did you see? But in verses 10 and 11, the chief priest didn't care about the questions about Lazarus. They just wanted him dead. Look at verse 11. Verse 10, I'm, I'm sorry, but the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. They'd already conspired against Jesus when he first raised him. But here he is back in Bethany, six days before the Passover. And then when Lazarus dead too. Why? Look at verse 11. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away. And look at that. Believed on Jesus. What do you know? Yeah, that's... No, Jesus has always been a threat to religion. Jesus has always been a threat to the cults of this world. It has always been the dividing factor of all of the religions of the world. What think ye of Christ? Who is He? Is He the Son of God or is He not? So we move on to verse 12. Look what it says here. On the next day... Much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem the next day. We're looking at five days before the Passover. T minus five to the crucifixion of the Son of God. So Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem to observe the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. As we know, He would go up to Jerusalem to meet with His disciples at the Passover. He would institute the Lord's Supper. And many people came up to Jerusalem at this time as they would to come and observe the Passover, but they came because they heard Jesus was there and they wanted to see Him. 
They wanted to actually meet the guy who was doing all the miracles. And look at verse 20 of chapter 12. The Bible says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. So we're introduced now by the record of John that there are some certain Greeks, obviously Jews, that had come up to Jerusalem to worship at the feast of unleavened bread. But they too had ulterior motives. I wish Brother Chuck was in here. He's a Greek. Give him a hard time about it. But in verse 21, these Greeks that came up, they went and they found a disciple, uh, uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. They came to Philip in verse 21, and they said, we would see Jesus. Show us where he is. We want to see him. So Philip uh, gets, gets going. He goes and finds Andrew, the, another disciple, and says, hey, the Greeks want to see Jesus. So the Bible says Andrew and Philip come together, go together, and they go to Jesus and they say, uh, there's some Greeks come up to worship and they want to see you. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus never says, oh, where are they? I want to see them. Oh, I'd like to meet them. Oh, I, I, I would like to, like to fellowship with them. He doesn't say anything about them at all. Look at verse 23 of your text. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now notice there in our passage, Jesus didn't answer the Greeks. He's talking to His disciples. He's talking to Philip. He's talking to to Andrew. And then He gives them the answer in verses 23 and 24. What a fascinating answer He gives them. Number one, that the Son of Man is to be glorified. The hour has come. Remember when those came to get Him in the, in, in the garden and Jesus said, This is your hour. He told those, those, uh, those, uh, uh, those, those soldiers that came to give Him, This is your hour and the hour of, of the Prince of, of Darkness. But you know what? There's another hour coming, Jesus was saying. This is your hour and you can live it up, but there's another one coming. And He says right here, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. We know the word glorify means to exhibit the attributes of someone else. If you as a child would glorify your, your earthly father, you might act like he does, if it's good, hopefully. A lot of times we act like he wishes you didn't act, right? You see them and you go, oh, do I do that? Yes, you do that. <laughs> They're glorifying you. But Jesus said His hour was come to be glorified. The hour has come that Jesus was going to fulfill His mission. The hour has come that He's going to be revealed as God's Messiah and the offering of the atoning blood on Calvary. That hour has come. But then look what He does in verse 24. He explains a seed. A seed. You know, like sunflower seeds, those are pretty good, right? A seed. He says, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And so by explaining a seed, he is revealing the hearts of those Greeks that are wanting to see him. You say, what? Prove that one. (laughs) Okay. Look at the next two verses. 
He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And in verse 25 and 26, Jesus is saying, those who love, if you love life, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. And if you hate your life in this world, you're going to keep it unto life eternal. Now notice what Jesus is saying to His disciples. The seed doesn't bear fruit until it dies. And if that seed seeks to stay on the stalk and seeks to never fall off the stalk, it will die once. And then it will die twice. Once when the stalk dies... And the second time, when it never produces. When it never accomplishes its created purpose. But when a seed falls off the stalk, and as, as it's supposed to, and goes into the ground like it's supposed to, it will produce more wheat. Now watch this, watch this. Jesus is revealing what the Greeks were really looking for. They probably heard all of the miracles of Jesus. They had probably heard the raising of the dead of Lazarus. They heard about that. Many of you in here have heard of this also. Many of you in here, there's some, maybe some in here that have not spent much time in church at all. And you've heard of the miracles of Jesus Christ. But notice this. These Greeks were not interested in coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ. These Greeks, by what Jesus is saying right here in his answer, are interested in a life insurance policy. They wanted to be with somebody that could make sure they could live longer. Hey, this dude raised another guy from the dead. I think I'll find out where he is and kind of join up with him, right? (laughs) That's a good friend to watch your back, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know what Jesus told them? Life isn't found in living. Life is found in dying. Make any sense at all? Not to us, it doesn't. And this was the answer that Jesus gave them. He gave the disciples the answer for the Greeks. Life is found in dying. So what about the seed? Anybody ever raise wheat? Anybody ever plant wheat in here? Anybody? Wheat? Corn? Yep. Oh, yeah. Run a garden? Seeds. The process of germination is fascinating to me. And I need to remind you before we go in and look at the seed here, the one explaining what the seed is doing is the one who made the seed. (laughs) You know, it it hasn't been since some of the technology that we've really been able to delve deeply into what a seed actually does. But here Jesus is explaining what is going on because He's the one who made it. And so there's a process to the germination of a seed. And because Jesus used wheat in his illustration, I'm just going to continue on with wheat. This is what he used here. And when you see a stalk of wheat, many of you have seen wheat fields. You might have been up close to wheat fields. You see the stalk that comes up out of the ground. And on top of that stalk is is this, this head and it is full of seeds. And there's a proper time right now, winter wheat is 
is coming on. If they've been planting winter wheat and May, around into May, towards middle of June, they'll start har- harvesting winter wheat. And that, that head gets to the point where all those seeds on it are about ready to start dropping off. And what causes those seeds to start dropping off is really the stock begins the process of dying. And as that stock begins to die, those seeds begin to drop off of that stock. And so inside this seed, inside this seed is an embryo. Most people know what an embryo is. But not only is there an embryo inside this little seed, there's protein and carbohydrates, energy, food for that seed. And so the, the, the seed falls off the head as that stalk begins to die. And that seed falls into the ground. And it burrows itself down into the dirt. And then as the temperature, it may sit there dormant through the winter. And as that temperature begins to come up, and as the moisture level comes up, that outer shell of that seed, that hard shell, begins to crack. It's died. But as that shell begins to take on that water and it begins to crack and split open, a little root begins to drop down out of that seed. And then a little plant begins to shoot up out of that seed. And as time goes on, that little twig comes out of the dirt and it'll be one of two types. Wheat, wheat, I believe, has two leaves. Some plants only have one little leaf that comes out. But it'll have two little leaves. And eventually, by the time that, that twig comes up out of the ground and those leaves have formed, the carbohydrates and the proteins in that little seed have depleted. And now the plant is getting all of its, all of its uh, energy from the sun. S-U-N. Photosynthesis. And then as the sun hits that and moisture, that thing begins to grow. And then that one little seed that dropped off of that head grows up and it becomes a stalk and it eventually has a whole other head of seeds. And it'll do the process over and over and over again. That's what a seed does. But some seeds are duds. (laughs) You ever get firecrackers that are duds? Highly disappointing especially when you threw them just right and it was right under him and it didn't go off. He deserved it though. Some seeds are duds. Some seeds will have no embryos. Some seeds will have an embryo, but they've been damaged. They've been marred. And when the seed falls into the ground, it dies without ever producing fruit. So what on earth is Jesus talking about? Remember the context here. Remember the context of where we're at here. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead a few days before. Mary came, came to see him and Lazarus. Many, many came to see, not Mary, but many. Many came, Mary did too. Many came to see Lazarus. Many people went up to Jerusalem to see the one who raised Lazarus. So even certain of the Greeks came up hearing about the miracle wanted to see Jesus as well. Watch this. Watch. Everyone was focusing on a man who was living again. But Jesus, using the illustration of a seed, is turning everyone's focus not on life, but on death. It's fascinating. So what does this mean? 
Jesus was going to die. He's illustrating His death. And if He didn't die, no one else could live. Look at verse 31 and 32 of our text. The Bible says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of peace of this world be cast out. And I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. He was going to be lifted up. The Roman crucifixion was his. And this was how he was to glorify his father. Just at, Listen, just as the seed's purpose is fulfilled when it dies... so too Christ's purpose was fulfilled when He died. No, Jesus illustrated the necessity of His crucifixion with a seed. Death. And that He did. He died. Jesus was crucified. About five days later, He was brought in. He was betrayed by Judas. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. One of the last things that Judas did was kiss his face. No, he kissed the face of God that would have saved him. But he he rejected him. And he was tried. And he was crucified. And he died. He died. Before the sundown of that beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was taken off the cross. Pilate was actually kind of surprised he was dead so soon. Sometimes within a Roman crucifixion, it could take days to die. Days. They would, actually, you, you, you died of asphyxiation. You suffocated to death. Because the way they would run that nail through the heel and, 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 and tie up and run the, the nails through the wrist, you would hang. And you couldn't breathe. And the point was, you were, the only way to get a breath was to push up, uh, push up and get air in your lungs and sink back down again. And that not only the beating, not only the entrails that were probably visible on his body, not only all the blood that he already lost, but then having to push up a na- a, a, on a nail against your heels and your bone to get a breath. He died. He was gone. And notice who came to bury him. Look at John chapter 19. Turn over to John chapter 19. And beginning in verse 38, the Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Amer- Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for the fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that they might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound him in a linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jew is to bury. Now notice who came to bury him. None of his disciples, they were gone. Joseph of Arimathea, 
and Nicodemus. Those that followed him secretly. And they wrapped up his body and put about a hundred pounds of spices and aloes and things like that within it. And it would have absolutely close to mummified him with all of that weight and spices and such. And they would wrap it all up together. Now look at verse 41. Remember remember what we're talking about, a quart of wheat. Jesus is talking about a seed. Look at verse 41. Now the place... Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. Jesus, who said, I am a seed, who illustrated his death by a seed, was crucified in a garden and planted there in that garden. I love it. I love it. You know, about five days earlier, Jesus has told His disciples He was going to die. And He illustrated it with this seed. And here He is, dying and being buried in a garden. But just like a seed that falls into the ground and dies, it isn't the end of the story for that seed. Three days and three nights later, sometime after sundown on Saturday, that shell of that body of Jesus that was planted in the garden, it broke apart, and the life that was in that shell came forth. Three days later, the same life that commanded Lazarus to come forth was the same life that commanded his own body to get up, and he walked out alive. You know what Jesus said? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The life of Jesus. It has power over death. It has power over hell. It has power over the grave, the Bible says. But He had to die first. Die to have that power? No. No. That life and power were already in Him. He's God. He had to die so our sins could be atoned for. Somebody had to pay for yours and my stinking, rotten sins. How many can say they've lied in their life? Anybody want to fess up? (laughs) Just, oh, Jim, how did I know? Finds a way out of everything, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. No, our sins had to be atoned for. Somebody had to pay for it. And you and I couldn't. If our sins were never atoned for, there wouldn't even be the possibility of living again. So what does this all mean? What is the application of this? What does it mean for us today where we're sitting here this morning? Do you know we're all a bunch of seeds? Just a bunch of seeds. And as some seeds have no life in them, no one is born in this world of the human nature with any life in them. No, sin has destroyed that. That union that Adam and Eve had with God, gone. Why? Because of sin. Whereas by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We are all sinners. And we, sin has damaged this life. And all of humanity is just a seed without an embryo. You're just a seed without life. No, we're just a bunch of empty shells. And if we're going to live after we die, life must be put in us. <laughs> well, how's that happen? How does that happen? You know, the only life that continued to live after death was the life that Jesus had. Why is that? Because He is eternal life. Because He is resurrection life. No, because He's God. The eternal God who always has been. And this is the reason why the the resurrection was necessary. If Jesus did not rise, we're still empty shells that have no ability to live once our shell is placed in the ground. And if Jesus did not rise, that resurrection life wasn't in Him. And if that resurrection life was not in Jesus Christ, in that human fleshly body of Jesus Christ, listen, we're we're living a fraud, it's all make-believe, and we should just go home. Absolutely. It's a sham. It's, It's the biggest sham that's ever been placed upon the world. But He did rise. Brother Healy, what do you think of 500 witnesses? Pretty good odds? Yeah. I think that would be pretty good odds, wouldn't it? 500 witnesses. (laughs) Disciples that went to their grave in a martyr's death. For a lie? Never. Never. Do you know because Jesus arose, and because He accomplished redemption, the same life that was in Jesus is the same life that is placed in every believer. You come to faith and and, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what happens to your little shell? (laughs) God moves in. That resurrection life of Jesus Christ just moves right in. You don't believe me? Listen to John 11.25. Jesus said unto her, Martha, remember He just told told Martha, Lazarus will rise again. And she says, I know He's going to rise in the resurrection, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, He said, I am the resurrection, Martha, and the life. He that believeth in Me, though He were, were dead, yet shall He live. So how does that life of Jesus get placed into this little shell of yours? Belief. Galatians 4, 6. The Bible says, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He becomes our Father. We are in the family of God. John 10, 28, the Bible says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, I give it to you. You don't have it, I have it. And I'll give it to you. Don't miss this. At salvation, God moves into our shell. 
And just like the seed has a shell with life in it, so too is the believer. And now, now listen, we have the life of Jesus Christ in us. And when this body dies, when my body dies, and this shell is placed into the ground, the life that was in our shell comes out of this little shell, and it lives in the light of the sun, S-O-N. Never more, never more again will we need the sustenance of proteins and carbohydrates of this life. We're in the presence of God. You know, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ is in you when your shell is placed into the ground. His life is your life. And you will be just as alive as Jesus is now. He is alive. You know, we're all seeds, aren't we? And Jesus is life. He doesn't have life. He is life. Is that life in you? Or are you just an empty shell still? Do you know if you're just an empty shell, if you've never been saved, if you've never been born again of the Spirit of God, if you've never came to God in confession and repentance and asking Him to save you, if you've never done that, one of these days you're going to die. And that empty shell of yours is going to spend an eternity separated from life because it was never placed in you. And you'll spend your eternal existence in hell. Revelation 20, verses 14 through 15, the Bible says, God said, In death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When a person dies on this side of, of, of the millennium and you die without Christ, you go to a place called hell. Jesus spoke about it more times than heaven. He says, where the flame is not quenched and the worm dieth not, there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There'll be, there'll be many, many areas in the Bible speak about the aloneness of hell. I don't know if you've ever imagined being by yourself with nothing around you, nothing to hold on to, nothing to grasp, separate from anything and everything, with the flames of hell. Jesus gave a story with Lazarus, another Lazarus, and a rich man. Not a parable, an actual event. And that rich man said, I am tormented by this flame. And when we die, we go to hell if you're without Christ. But after the, the, the great, the, the, the Bema seat judgment, after you are judged by Christ for your works, and your works will always be found wanting, you, will, you can never work your way to God. You have rejected Jesus Christ in this life, and you want to do it your own way, fine. Your works will be judged. And you're going to come up short. And the Bible says in here in Revelation that those whose names were not found in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. So hell is going to be brought out, you'll be judged, and then you'll be cast in the lake of fire. You see, that's horrible. Hey, God doesn't, kick, God doesn't dra drag anybody kicking and screaming into heaven. You have a free will. 
Listen, you have a free will. You have nature. You have conscience. You have, uh, you have the, enough evidence within your, own, within your own surroundings to know that there is a God. Let me throw something out at you, skeptic. And I think it's good to search into things. I'm not belittling skeptics at all. But if God doesn't exist and man has no ability to think any higher than himself, how could man have ever conceived of even, even the concept of a God? It's not possible. I cannot tell you right now what's going on in China. I cannot tell you what's going on across the street. Why? I don't have the ability to know what hasn't been revealed. And if God never existed, and if there never was a God, man wouldn't even, even have come up with the concept of Him because He didn't exist. People, I know people say, oh, it's, it's called imagination. Yeah, but watch your imagination. It always surrounds around what you know. That alien, why does he always look human? <laughs> that spaceship, why is it always made out of material that we know here on earth? Because we don't know anything beyond what we already have been revealed. And you know why we know there's a God? Because He's revealed Himself. And because of our sin nature and our free will, some of us just don't want them. We could come up with a thousand evidences for God and you'd say, I need a thousand one. If you're here this morning and you're just an empty shell, I plead with you and warn, with, warn you that God will allow you to have your way. And you'll spend your eternal existence in hell. Just like that seed that faced two deaths, one physical and one in purpose, you too will face two deaths. You know, it is God's desire that we are with Him. But because love is the highest ethic there is, God can work by no other means but through love and a free will. And this is the original purpose of creation. But sin came and we've been separated from God. And the life that was in Adam and Eve died when they sinned that day. And that sin has been passed on to us. And you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And you know, if you had come this morning and confessed to God, knowing what you are, believing who He is, believing in Jesus Christ, He would take His life and put it right into your shell. And when you die, and that shell gets put into the ground and it breaks apart, so shall you ever be with the Lord. Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place. If I go not away, I, wouldn't have, I, would, I would have told you. And He goes on to say that where I am, there ye may be also. Yeah. So what's in your shell this morning? Is it life? Or are you empty? Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning, first off, for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that your Son planned it all who was slain before the foundation of the world, before anything was ever created, it was decided by Jesus that He would go.
that He would put on human flesh, that He would live a human life, that He would be crucified and His blood would be sufficient to pay for all of the sins of mankind to make it possible that we could be in relationship with You again. We thank You for that. Father, I want to ask You this morning that Your Holy Spirit would draw... Maybe there's some here this morning that are without You. I don't know. You know. They're empty seeds. And they need life. And I just ask You that the office work of Thy Holy Spirit would be done today and to draw them to salvation, draw them to a place of repentance, that they would come with their own will and repent and be saved. There may be some Christian here today that is, they, they have life in them, but Father, they're not producing fruit. And that's a whole other topic here. I just pray you'd work in the lives of those that are your children, that we'd be more usable to thee. Father, we pray for your, your will would be done here in the invitation. We thank you so much. Father, we love you. What a plan. And you did it all. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name. Would you stand this morning with me?